Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and all fraternity and sorority pledges of Kavanakaba. Prepare yourselves to receive your 52nd Weird Dose of X. As always, we are the mutant member of your Weird Science podcast family. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the state-of-the-art wrong-turn studio high atop stately Weird Science Tower. And here with me once again is your pal and mine, Boobin. Boobin, how the heck are you today? Hey, how's it going? I'm feeling a little punchy because I didn't sleep last night, but uh, maybe that'll make this a fun recording. I did get a, a message from you kind of unusually late last night, so I guess that all checks out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened, and this is a silly story, an oh, embarrassing good, story, good. but oh, uh, maybe perfect. people will laugh. So I'm in bed, it's like midnight, you know, I've had a great Father's Day, and you should tell me what you did for Father's Day. We went to the zoo and um, saw some animatronic bugs, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, and we hear this like crash in our house, right? So that Uh-oh. freaks me up. I jump sure. up, right? I go stomping around the house, like looking, like what the heck is it? I uh, go into the kid's room. There's nothing. So then I'm just like totally freaked the whole night, right? So like every noise is waking me up. Right. So oh, I yeah, go basically course. lay on the couch, right? And then I'm looking out the window and the neighbor's motion just sensor imagining, keeps- like boogeyman at every door and every window. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 43, almost 43, uh, and I'm still afraid of Boogeyman. Every yeah. time I lock a door at night, I imagine <laughs> it's a split second before some slasher murderer was about to open it. It's just, yeah. I can't get out of my head. Yeah, so I'm like looking out the window, and I see the neighbor's motion sensor like keep going in on and off, but it's like behind a gate, right? So I can't tell what, what it is, and basically I just laid on the couch, like freaked out until I finally passed out at like, you know, three or four, and then had to get up. Yikes. So anyways, it sucked, but uh, it, you know, I'm here. No, and enjoy the Father's Day until that. So we we ended up um, in the morning figuring out what it was. It was some toys, and one of the kids' closets fell. <laughs> so yeah, some not that dramatic. years ago, I had an event. I was a, a, still part of a, a homebrewing club, you know, beer making, and we had a Scotch tasting night. Now I'm used to drinking beer, not Scotch. So at the end of Scotch tasting night, I was. I was, you know, not not lit. my best self. But we were just going to sleep <laughs> over there. The whole plan was nobody driving home. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And they had this couch in the kids' playroom. That's where I was going to sleep. But there was one toy somewhere in this room filled with toys that every well, – it probably took me four minutes to fall asleep. So about every four minutes and three seconds, it would make this bloop, 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 bloop sound and wake <laughs> me back up. So here I am stumbling drunk in the dark in a strange room trying to find whatever toy it is. And – Oh, that was not a good one. So I'm going to talk about my father's day. Actually, I yeah, got planned for in the middle of our Wolverine coverage because I, I found yeah. a hook there. So that's okay, what we call great. a forward promote in the business. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Speaking of promoting, I'm actually going to plug something that I did last Tuesday when I was a surprise guest, and I was surprised myself, on the Otako Tuesday live stream on the Nerdy Girl Creates YouTube channel. Jim was there too, but I mean, who wants to hear more from him, right? Uh, I, I say surprise guest because I was called to fill in at the last minute for, I'm not going to say a name, but it was someone both Irish and very sleepy. <laughs> so he couldn't make it, so I jumped in. Uh, Jim and I and host Kerry talked about uh, AI written manga, talked about some new English language manga releases, and then we did our top five manga that sound like band names. Uh I, I got a review there. One review of me specifically called me a fascinating conversationalist. Oh, wow. Now, granted, the reviewer was my own father, but, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. So my dad would not lie. So I suggest you all check that out. Head over to YouTube, uh, Nerdy Girl Creates 655, and look for Otako Tuesday. Good Did stuff you on get any uh, accolades? Because if not, I'm sure that review would have... Flipped him out. Uh, my my dad didn't mention Jim by name, but I'm I'm sure he was fine too. Yeah. Okay. You, folks, Jim I is know. extremely jealous of that kind of thing. You can't <laughs> co-host with him, and if he doesn't get a shout out, he's going to be like, I don't know. It'll upset him. He can't he can't take joy in other people being promoted. <laughs> Jim. Well, who who edits this podcast, Ruben? So no one's going to hear any of that. But that is okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so listeners, you're not here for any of this nonsense. You're here for this other nonsense, specifically Rogan Gambit number four, uh, Green number thirty-four, and X-Men Red number twelve. Okay, I'll say two of those mm-hmm. I enjoyed. Two, okay. Yes, that's not, not bad. I mean, two not out of Rogan Gambit. Spoiler. Well, let's <laughs> let's get that out of the way first. This is Rogan Gambit number four of five. Only one more left. Written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Carlos Gomez, 
Letters by Ariana Mayer and designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. So I feel like a dope. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this up front. I feel like a dope. We're we're covering this kind of because I thought there was something here, and I think I convinced you there might be something here. But <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's the, the the poker term where pot committed? I think is what they say. <laughs> There's only one more issue left. Yeah, there is actually yeah. a continuity hook in this issue that I was not expecting. So yeah. we'll talk about that. I don't think we'll spend a lot of time on this. People can look at the timestamps and see how much I'm, I'm a liar right now. But uh, here we go. So. Uh, just to set the scene, long story short, Destiny told Rogue that she needs to go get Manifold because future stuff. Manifold says, yeah, not interested. And then he gets his ass captured by some mystery techno mind controller who has been kidnapping and techno mind controlling every super he can get his hands on. Rogue shows up to rescue Manifold, and then the death of D-list villain Vanisher is used to show that removing the techno mind controller equals death. And that's where we are, except not exactly because this book starts off with a pretty long flashback to three months ago where yes. we learn that the head baddie in charge is Power Broker. Now, are, are you a big Power Broker fan, Ruben? <laughs> the biggest. Yeah, that's my, that's my guy. No, <laughs> I don't think not at all. a competition for it, so you may be the biggest. <laughs> now, he's a pretty obscure character. Who feel, he feels kind of bronze age to me, but in fact, he dates back only to 2007. He was a villain first in the Avengers Initiative, which spun out of the first Civil War, and then a villain in the Scott Lang Ant-Man series. So not a lot of Ant-Man villains, you know, showing up other places. He was last seen in Astonishing Ant-Man number 12 in 2016. His deal has always been selling super-powered related stuff to evil rich folks, either giving the rich folks powers themselves or acting as a placement service when you need a super-powered henchman. So he's doing that again, with the only twist being that he'll be selling technological means to control the superpower. Okay. Now, the mooks on display to demonstrate this tech are Absorbing Man and Juggernaut. Now, Absorbing Man seems like a perfectly fine choice, right? He's recognizable enough. He's pretty strong, so readers can be shown that your power broker is a real threat here. Yeah. But shouldn't Juggernaut be somewhere else at this point? What did you think of that? Can you make it make sense? Yes. No, this is the first thing that pissed me off. It, it, this We see this scene there like three months ago. I'm like, so he was part of the Legionnaires, and he went missing for three months, and nobody <laughs> wondered what the hell happened to him? Yeah, I, I can't I can't make this make sense. I can't no-prize this one. It just seems like somebody wasn't paying attention. It, this doesn't need to be Juggernaut, I don't think. No. As far no. as we can tell, he's not playing any particular role other than, hey, we need some some big heavy to show that we are controlling, you know, big, strong bad guys. Yeah, I mean, so, he looks cool, right? I always said, think Juggernaut looks badass, and I kind of like the new outfit, and the art is good, right? I don't know. Maybe I like the art. I think that's one thing I've said over and over. I like this art more than probably a lot of people, but... Juggernaut the, looks cool. I don't like all the art, but Juggernaut yeah. looks, looks very cool in this. Yeah, but the three months thing drives me insane, because it yeah, it, so you don't even need it. It could just be earlier, I can't right? Make it like, before, I can't make it after. Yeah. Right? If it's after, there, then no this is reason. the fall of. It doesn't work. Yeah, there's no reason to timestamp this. It's just. I Usually, I like to get stuff timestamped right so it can help me figure out where to sure. fit this in. But in this case, it just it makes it worse. Well, I, I think we're not going to make it make sense. We just need to say, okay, either it's. He beamed back and forth, or he has a, a, a secret twin we don't know about, or something like that. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> the only other thing from this flashback to notice is that Power Broker's big potential client is uh, is Ruben, in fact. Uh, not not you. This is Ruben Rousseau, who is one of the two top leaders of Coven Akaba. Oh, gosh. Uh, now, if last week was Phelong Palooza, I guess this week yeah. is Akaba Rama, because yeah. they're back. Yay. <clears throat> So, back to the present of whenever this book takes place, uh, Rogue finds out just the same thing that we learned in the flashback, namely, it's it's Power Broker behind all this. I can't imagine anyone was shocked to see that, oh, Power Broker, never would have guessed. But I guess you got to use somebody, and might as well use an existing character. You know, I, I like that. Yeah, that part's fine. So, a mind-controlled manifold sneaks up behind Rogue and zaps her with a zappy thing. Now, at first, I thought this was the mind-control device. The art isn't super clear to me, or maybe I'm just a dummy, but I think after reading a bunch of times that the zappy thing just, like, knocked Rogue down, and that gave Power Broker an opportunity to actually stick the control device on her neck. So, there's there's two different devices. Is that what you can hear? Yeah, the first one is, like, some sort of, like, back harness that electrocutes you, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I think it was just a yeah. Your 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 what do you call it? like a taser basically more or less like a stick on taser, <sighs> which is sort of unnecessary. <laughs> It's just convoluted for like no point, right? Like everything that happens after this could have been exactly the same if he had just stuck the mind control device on her. Yeah, we needed kind of a a fight scene and we needed to fill up some page space, I think. So that's what they did. Uh, So uh, she's being taken over by this control device. And this is when Gambit rides to the rescue. No, no, no. No, no. no. Okay, go ahead. You you messed it up. So then the power broker walks over and then starts to put the mind control device on her. And then that's when. Gambit right. shows up. She's lying Because there's this whole point about... On the ground. It looks like her neck is broken because her head shouldn't go that way. <laughs> and then there's a very skinny panel where you can't really see what's happening. Yeah. But that's when he's kind of sticking the circuit board like, yeah. under Yeah, he's starting to stick it on and then Gambit I, shows up and anatomy, interrupts. I don't think makes sense. But. Yeah. And he interrupts in okay. a way where it's just enough that like she's completely controlled except that she can talk. Okay, so this is the excuse for how we're going to take this off without killing her. Because yes. taking this off is supposed to kill everybody. Yeah. How they're going to make- It's three inches in instead of four, and if it was four, she would be done, right? She wouldn't be able to talk. Yeah. So so Jim clipped that, but out of context. That'll be useful. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, moving moving forward. Uh, so Gambit then shows up, you know, throwing these exploding, plowing, exploding playing cards all over the place. Uh, yeah. So this is when Rogue tells him and us that Power Broker didn't finish the implant procedure. Yes. So Rogue can still talk like her old self. Accent included, uh, but quote unquote, bro- yeah. quote unquote, because I cannot stand this characterization. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh, I'm like, fair enough. this is not any character I've ever seen. Hashtag it's not just my rogue. Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I hate to do that, but uh, I'm doing it because it, it's more of that. Oh, God, it, it's more of this. Like, it, it feels like the this writer is dealing with their own like marital problems <laughs> through this book, and these scenes are just like arguments they've had in real life because. <laughs> Oh, dear. It, it's weird. It's like, you know, Gambit starts to say some stuff, and then, you know, then she'll be like, well, you know, you've got a problem, you know, or you're the victim, you know, bullshit, I'm the victim, blah, 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 right? It's like, it's weird. Mm-hmm. And th- thank God that, that power broker thing wasn't put in, right? Because we wouldn't have that riveting dialogue um, without it. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, we get a bit of a fight scene. Uh Rogue's going to start absorbing all the powers of all the other supers. I would think that if you're trying to make money, you'd rather have lots of different people you can hire out rather than just one with you know all your eggs in one basket. But <laughs> I'm not in the power broker business, so maybe I don't know. Uh, power broker himself tries to scoot off in a helicopter, but Gambit shoots him out of the sky with you know one of his playing cards. So in the very why? Night- why why does he why does he freaking like run right? There's no reason for it. He's got his whole henchman squad here. He's got rogue controlled. He's like completely convinced that he's that is weird, yeah. you know, winning. And then all of a sudden he's like doing the classic villain, like gotta go, you know, fight my goons while I run off thing. Yeah, I I don't get it either, but that that is what happens. <laughs> so in that very last panel, it seems that Rogue has absorbed all the other powers and is about to use them to attack both like her husband and maybe also Power Broker. There's some talk of a remote control that will no doubt figure in the finale. And, and personally, I'm hoping that Gambit retains custody of his wife's remote control because, you know, what husband wouldn't want that? Uh, but probably not where Stephanie Phillips is taking this. Uh, but yeah, so- This is the shittiest, like, tech ever, too. So he's got, like, an app that does this right, but it's the only one. It's, like, local... I guess it's, like, local software on his cell phone. That's the first... Like, I'm just like, dude, okay, great. They've got the mind control device. Like, you know, block that server, boot the software up on another device you're done, right? Like, who probably, cares if probably they take don't want the- to depend on, like, the Amazon cloud services or something, because that's, that's <laughs> yeah, not too, it, you know, liable. Yeah. Although, I guess we do get the little, like, there's, like, a detail page where they're like, oh, he had this this hench website, and then he lost a ton of money when there was a competing service. Yeah, that's service. really just the it's Marvel like- fandom page for, for Power Broker just kind of reformatted. That's the same information. So, I guess I guess this is not a Feylong level intellect as far as, like, business savvy goes. Uh, seems not. He only shows up, you know, every once in a while, you need some sort of, you know, guy to sell superpowers, which there's 18 versions of this out there, but... The, o- the only thing I liked in this was when he's, like, trying to convince the, you know, the wealthy people to invest in his product, and then okay. they're just like, no, like, there's no way we're gonna buy your crap, because it always, you always <laughs> lose, right? Yeah. I was like, that made me laugh. But then, not but then the they're best, like... Uh, not the best track record. Yeah. 
But then he shows them like one thing and they're like, oh, wow, wait, maybe we do want to give you all our money. So I did think that the fight scene between Juggernaut and Absorbing Man was, was probably the best looking part of the book. That looked cool. Yeah. I also think Juggernaut killed Absorbing Man, but that's just uh, that's just me. Yeah, I know that did not really happen, right? But like, Absorbing full- Man gets used as kind of a you know a mook in a lot of these books lately, where he used to be a, a big threat. He used to like fight the Hulk, and now he's just somebody to get beat up to show that another person's powerful. Well, so that's this book. Uh, if I had to guess, I think that like Ambassador Brousseau of the Coven was probably only put in the script at the last second to try to make it seem relevant, which I guess counts as continuity. So partial credit to Marvel there. And, and in fact. I was less annoyed by this issue than prior issues in the series. I was way more annoyed. Maybe you didn't, even, you didn't even cover the uh, the cell phone text transcript between Storm and Gambit, where she basically I don't think called him a drunk. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was smart because that's she basically just, I liked it better because I skipped that page. Yeah, yeah. You should read it because it's like again, like who is this Storm? Suddenly she's like a therapist, and you know, telling him that he has to. Talk to Rogue about his, or yeah, talk to Rogue about his like experience getting killed in another world, and yeah, yeah which I, I guess did, the other I thing I forget what book that happened in, but I think it was one of the one of the Betsy Britton books I haven't read. Correct, yeah, but I don't understand why that's so traumatic, right? Like people in these X books die all the time. Again, with the mind control thing, I was like, there's a real simple solution: you kill Rogue and reboot her through the Krakow meds, right? Yeah, that would work. I mean, I think that happened not so long ago in. Uh uh, what was it? It was that Ms. that uh, Captain Marvel crossover. So I don't know. Some that that uh, that get out of jail free card is just used sometimes and ignored other times, which is kind of annoying. Well, we've talked too long about this book already. Uh, Broken Gambit number four is a pretty generic superhero adventure story. That's kind of a plastic action figure kind of art style, which isn't my deal, but it's not bad. Uh, if what you're looking for is some okay action with heroes and villains wailing on each other. You can find that here. I'm going to give it a five and a half out of ten. <laughs> um, I'm giving it a fucky five. Ooh, and special five out of Ruby. It's it's all from the art. The story I would give it like a one. It is so annoying to me. Yeah, not not great, Bob. Okay, only one more issue of that. And uh, before we get to that, though, I mean, we're not talking about that today, of course. But the next issue we're talking about today, Jim added all that babbling out because we're going on to Wolverine number 34. Written by Ben Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip, art by Frank Darmada, letters by Corey Pettit, and designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. So if, right. if Rogan Gambit, what was that, Ruben? Yeah, I was gonna I was just gonna jump in here and say Rogan Gambit pissed me off immensely, and Wolverine surprised me in a good way. I actually enjoyed it. I, you know, you, I'm an outspoken critic of Wolverine, saying that he's an annoying character, a noted critic of Wolverine. Yes, yes, yeah. And, yeah, so, and I had fun with this one. I actually thought it was pretty good. Um, we still had evil mustache twirling beast, but he, he was kind of um, a little more interesting to me in the stuff he was doing and saying. So I kind of liked that dynamic and the action scenes were actually really cool. So, yeah. So if, if Rogan Gambit was like a mediocre to sub mediocre action comic, I, th- I think Wolverine 34 shows how to use that, do that concept right. Make it interesting. So the only title given to this issue is the Anodyne Weapons of X Part 4, but I'm calling it the Fast and the Snickdius, because that's the feeling I got out of this. So uh, we start right in paying off last issue's cliffhanger. Right, Logan and Maverick are in a speedboat trying to hunt down Beast, but Jeff Bannister, thinking this is just one more clone marine in a boat, has the naval aviators under his command launch missiles at them. Now, I, I haven't served. I'm, I'm no military specialist, but I would think that if, let's count, one, two, <laughs> five, F whatever, U.S. military fighter aircraft, all <laughs> launching missiles at one little speedboat, yeah. that speedboat is going to be like a small patch of flotsam in like three seconds. Uh, oh, but this is a comic book. It's The Fast and the Furious with Wolverine. So... All of the missiles miss the boat by just enough to toss everybody around and make some pretty explosions. Nobody actually gets hurt. Yeah, and I actually was laughing at this part because if you look at the art, you've got um, Maverick and Wolverine like fighting over who's controlling the steering wheel of the speedboat as they <laughs> dodge these missiles. Pretty and much they, every panel, like somebody else is like butting in. They hit the, the water <laughs> inches, and again, I don't know how <laughs> missiles blow up when they hit the water, but it, yeah. I, I think they should be dead like 12 times. But again, 
it's an action movie and this is what happens in action movies. And, and once I got into my head that this is what this whole arc is going to be, I'm on board and I'm perfectly fine. So Wolverine decides, hey, I better get on the horn and dial up the commander of this mission. And again, I don't know how this works, but can a civilian with a radio just hail a military helicopter <laughs> like we're in an episode of Star Trek? I'll go with it, fine, because Logan yeah. gets on the line with Jeff, and I did like this bit where he proves he's the real Wolverine by insulting Jeff's taste in beer yes. and how <laughs> into yard work he is. Yes, no, that was, that was good. Fun. I that laughed. I thought it was hilarious. It was like, I don't know a ton about their dynamic, but mm -hmm. that works, right? And yeah, he's like, I mean, oh, yeah, as that's, someone that's whose neighbors Wolverine. are way too into yard work, I could definitely <laughs> identify with Wolverine here, which is not something I often say. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the disaster averted briefly because uh, Jeff comes down for a face-to-face -face chat, but then that's just when Beast has his Krakoan kaiju surface in what's probably the most visually impressive page in a book full of like impressive pages here. It looks looks really cool to me. Yeah, and I, I back to like just applauding dialogue, you know, when the helicopter lands, Banster gets off and he's like, what the hell are you doing out here? And Wolverine's like, what the F do you think I'm doing? <laughs> I, I started laughing. I was like, this is hilarious. And this is like a good Wolverine, right? Like he's pissed off. He's trying to get his stuff handled and everybody's annoying him. So I'm on board with that. That that was good. Yeah, very nice. Uh, so the, the kaiju comes up uh, and it zaps one of the fighter jets. And unlike what always happened in the old G.I. Joe cartoons, you don't see the pilot manage to eject in time. So add another death to Beast's long, long list of crimes. Uh, and speaking of death, when the kaiju once again descends into the murky depths, poor old Jeff Bannister gets sucked down with it, seemingly to his demise. Yeah, it's so, like a vortex yeah. from like a large object yeah, submerging which quickly. Which makes sense. I mean, you see movies yep. about like the Titanic sinking and things. Big object sinks, you're going to have people pulled down with it. So yeah, that's where like the high octane portion of the issue ends, making way for the villain monologue scene. Uh, so Beast sends a hologram message to Logan via disposable clone green. This message looks like it should say, help me, Logan Juan Kenobi, you're our only hope. But what it actually says is that, good news, Jeff isn't dead. Bad news, he's my prisoner, and if you don't want me to kill him, you'd better come and listen to my villain monologue. Now, minor complaint, this whole speech is given to us on a boring-ass data page. There's no reason this couldn't have been a page of comics. Would have taken up still just a page. But, you know, give me more Juan Jose. Rip this off. is filling the quota for sure. They're like, we got to get those two data pages in this issue. This is how yeah, we're going to do it. This is definitely a bottom tier data page. <laughs> uh, so Logan heads off to the designated meeting place, which is a cozy little dinner spot in the Faroe Islands. So I'm going to go off here a little bit on the Faroe Islands. Now, first off, this is the same like small minor island group where the Muins had their first Hellfire Gala. Right, it was uh, Magneto's island, and then he gave it to them for the gala. Mm, so that's mm -hmm. either quite a coincidence, or maybe Ben Percy couldn't think of any other islands to use. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of islands in the world. Don't know why we're back there again. Uh, and another little bit of trivia that I'm lifting from the House to Astonish blog, which is my favorite place to, to lift trivia from. The external establishing shot of the restaurant is based on an actual two Michelin star fine dining restaurant in the Faroe Islands. That restaurant is called, uh, seems to be called Cox. That's K-O-K-S. And I think there's dots over the O or something. It's, you know, Norwegian. So if you want to try to get reservations, be aware that dining there, which includes dinner, overnight stay, breakfast, and round-trip boat transport from Greenland, starts at about $1,000 per person. But I hear the seafood's really fresh. So enjoy that. This is bizarre. How did somebody know that? I mean, that's cool, but... It's cool. Now, I got the name of it no from idea. that blog, and then I looked it up, and I found all the other information, but it is it is very cool. I have no idea where they even decided to... It is a, a British-based blog, so yeah. it's it's closer to them, so Could maybe no, maybe no. this is a known yeah. place in England, yeah. but... Or Ben Percy's out there emailing everybody, being like, <laughs> hey, check this out, this maybe. cool little thing. Maybe he got a free dinner there for a plug. I would... I'd do that. So, now on to Beast's actual villain monologue, which was fun to read. But kind of hard to describe. The quick summary is Beast wants Krakoa to leave him alone, and he wants his two missing clone marines returned to him. Weren't they dead? But more on them in a bit. Anyway, the fun part of this section isn't what Beast says, but what he does while he's saying it. So, Ruben, how would you describe what Beast is doing in these pages? Yeah. 
it was interesting because I think Ben Percy loves gross out scenes, right? Or maybe it's maybe it's a combination of Ben and the artist. But certainly, this is a very gruesome like depiction of of beast eating, right? He's both trying to be very dignified and ordering fancy food and like breaking it up and whatnot, you know, lobster and using the right tools. But he still like got all the food on on him in his fur and his face. face. It's so gross. Yeah. I was like, dude, you got to take a shower after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it disgusting. It's hilarious, and I think that contrast is the point, right? He thinks yeah. he's this refined, superior genius, but yeah. the art shows he's really just become an uncivilized brute. Yes. Now, so speaking of uh, uncivilized brutes, my. Uh, uh, I was taken out for Father's Day yesterday by my wife and kids, and uh, we went for ice cream, and I had a big cone of black raspberry Oreo ice cream, which was delicious. But by the time I was done, I think I had almost as much purple ice cream in my beard <laughs> as Beast had lobster in his face fur. So, yes. I, again, I could identify with Logan earlier. This is me identifying sort of with Beast. Beast. I would love yes. to see Ben Percy's script for these pages, and it is four pages of this stuff. Uh, yes. like, did he give like detailed descriptions for each panel, or did he leave it up to uh, the artist to fill in the blanks? Yeah. Uh, and it's an looks- interesting... Okay, go ahead. I'd say what I really liked about this scene is, for once, we get somebody saying, like, hey, Beast, we know each other. Like, this is you're not acting the way you should be acting, right? And I, I appreciated that. Yeah, um, and Beast's reply they have, is more they have like, history, right? maybe this really is who I am. Maybe... I was faking before, maybe I couldn't achieve my actual real self, and, and this is who I should be. So Yeah, when up. you're confined to society, you, you behave well, and when you don't have those constraints, your true self comes forth, mm-hmm. and this it's is my like true the, self. It's a noble savage idea, but uh, kind of in reverse. So the beast art here looks great. I think Logan in some of these panels looks not great. I, I love the Juan Jose Reap art, but there's always a couple faces in every book. I just go, mm, I don't know if I like that. Uh, so, yeah, I know that Logan has had a really tough day here, which is part of why his hair's all crazy. Uh, but as Jim would say, he looks like he should be taken off to concussion protocols here because his eyes are just pointing in different directions. And it's it's just it's just weird. But the I'll beast say the stuff thing is that, great. The other thing that made me laugh about this scene, Logan shows up and his shirt's all torn up. It's like. He got the message, right? Like, he didn't have time to change his shirt. <laughs> right. In the last scene, when he got the message, he like, kind of jumped on uh, ex- an exploding clone marine, or he thought it was going to explode. Yeah. So, he got, yeah. got shot up in the last scene. Regardless, his clothes are all messed up, but they're like, hey, meet me at this location, right? And between that point of getting the message and showing up, he didn't change. <laughs> I mean, Logan wouldn't wouldn't dress up for a fancy dinner, so I, I was okay with that idea. Yeah. It just, it in just character. made me laugh. I thought he would have a, a new... Wolverine suit, but no I think it's just a contrast them. for the outfit, unfortunately. No, yeah, but no dude's got to have some extra clothes. He's got to have some extra clothes. <laughs> He's a superhero. Uh, call, uh, who's, who's the mutant fashion designer for the Hellfire uh, yeah. Games? All yeah. the arms. Well, that guy. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah. Okay, al- almost done. Uh, Wolverine heads back to Maverick's secret lair to figure out his next step. And the two clone Marines, who, again, I swear were stone cold dead, are now not only not dead, but are talking, kind of. We get some let out, a good bit of kill, kill, kill you, and out of a lot of bub, which, again, bub is funny. So it seems that the old mutant healing factor has been kicking in, undoing the limitations that Beast put on these clone marines' brain power when he created them. So right now, it's only, as far as we know, these two clone marines who are talking, Maybe because they've had to regenerate more than their brothers and that accelerated things. But Maverick suggests that this process is happening in all the clone marines, meaning that Beast may soon have an insurrection on his furry blue hands. We already knew that the other beasts were plotting against him. They're all dead. But now we think that the, the Wolverines may also be uh, not so much on board with Weapons of X. So this arc will conclude next issue with Weapons of X Part 5, which comes out one week before the big Hellfire Gala when whatever reset happens is going to happen. So yeah, like we've been saying, I found this issue pretty satisfying. Take it as an action movie and don't expect more out of it than you would expect out of a you know a Fast and Furious. And I think if you do that, you're going to be happy with it too. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to give a big solid eight. It was enjoyable and I... I'm back on board. I want to see what happens next. So 
Yeah, same the score for me. Eight out of ten. I do want to see what happens to Beast. This villain arc has been going on for a long, long time, and I really hope it concludes in something like sufficiently dramatic and satisfying. So let's see him get his comeuppance. And uh, are we going to get another Beast back, or is Beast going to be off the table for a while? I don't know. I think they seeded the idea that they could reboot him to prior, like a version that was way before all this. You know, he was back when he was a hero. Yeah, that that is certainly one possibility. And uh, I haven't looked ahead at a lot of previews, so I don't know which way they're going to go. Moving on to our third and final book of the show. This is X-Men Red number 12, Storm One. This is written by Al Ewing, art by Jacopo Comani, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Ariana Mayer, and design by Tom Muller. Just Tom Muller. Fascinated by that. Uh, so, do you remember X of Tens? Did you like X of Tens? Would you like some more X of Tens? Well, <laughs> if you answered yes to all three of those questions, well, you're probably going to enjoy this issue more than I did. Now, yeah, and I did. I, okay, I think the X okay. of Tens is what led um, the first in- incarnation of this X Men cast to like ruin because Jim was like, "I'm out." But I, I just I thought I had fun with it. It was in- a little inconsistent in the pacing and what was going on, but it was wacky in a way that amused me so I, I did enjoy it and I, and I liked the characters and I'm kind of happy to see them brought back and hopefully fleshed out a little bit more okay so yes you did like it more than I that's that's great so structure wise this issue is a, kind of a lot like Rogan Gambit and I don't think any book wants to be compared to Rogan Gambit but uh, it what the, the similarities has a long opening flashback before we actually join up where the story had left off at the end of the prior issue. So in the flashback, well, first let's talk about the X of Ten's backstory of Arako and Amenth. You can tell me if I screw any of this up, because I, I think yeah. you might know better than I do. Yeah, go for so it. So the mutants of Arako were at war with the demons of Amenth, and Arako was led by Genesis, with the White Sword and his hundred resurrecting warriors being kind of the main champions of Arako. That kind of how it started? Yeah. I don't know if he was the main champion, but definitely they were being led by Genesis and they were fighting the demons. Sounds good. Uh, so at some point, Genesis falls under the control of the Annihilation Helm, unrelated to Annihilation Waves or other Marvel Annihilations, as far as we know. And from that point on, she led the forces of Amenth against the White Sword and the rest of Araka. Now, at the end um, of- No, uh, I'm no? going to change it slightly. Okay, Come, correct yes. So they they um there was a big fight and they and Apocalypse cleaved Krakoa in two and that formed Arako and um and it went into Otherworld. And Genesis and a percentage of the Iraqi stayed in the other half defending it to prevent the Amenthi demons from coming into Earth. And Apocalypse stayed on Earth with Arak with um oh my god, not Arako, what's the other one? Krakoa, thank you, yes. And then they they set up these giant towers inside um, Otherworld slash Amenth or wherever, wherever they were. And they were like a fortress, right? Fighting off the demons. And then at some point during the siege period, then Genesis got possessed and switched sides. And so the, the remaining Iraqi were fighting with Genesis and the Amenthi, against the Amenthi demons and her. But it wasn't until the the planes got separated and it and yes. after they yeah, had I set was, up I like was their skipping the whole watchers. separation thing but that that is important so skipping ahead to the end of x of tens apocalypse takes on the mask and orders the forces of men to surrender which is how the mutants win out of nowhere out of a stupid tournament but uh, <laughs> but i digress and at that point the crazy witch lady saturnine transforms the annihilation helm into an annihilation staff which alters its abilities somehow maybe i i never really followed that bit i don't think it was ever made clear is that is that more or less it was not made clear yes okay so we're clear that it was unclear perfect yeah they uh, decide to have peace mm-hmm. and apocalypse and his family to demonstrate their commitment to peace decides to go live in the in the realm of menth right sort of as like with genesis ambassadors yep. slash prisoners yeah with genesis and the white sword and all all those uh, all those dudes Yes. And at, they go back there, and that's when the mass of Iraqi mutants comes back to ne- next to Krakoa and winds up living on Mars. All right. So that's that's all the backstory. In this issue, we return to near present day Amenth, sometime well after X of Tens, sometime a little bit before now. And we see the forces of Genesis once again attacking the castle 
of the white sword. Why is she doing this and, and where's Apocalypse? We have no idea, but it seems to have to do with that cursed, malevolent annihilation staff influencing her. Is that is that kind of what's happening? That's what they're showing, yeah. And this is the first thing that made me kind of like laugh a little uncomfortably because I think it's just a little silly. But I'm hoping this is for a reason. So it seems like Genesis has been possessed again by uh, Annihilation in the staff form. Right. I don't know and if she so, ever wasn't. It was Annihilation okay. has always been this malevolent force of whoever's wearing or, or carrying him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my impression was from the end of, of X of Swords that when the helm was removed and Apocalypse used it, it stopped possessing her and he was like living with her. But maybe I, maybe I was mistaken in that case. So I was just kind of like, yeah, you just got possessed and then you decide to like grab the staff of the thing that possessed yeah. you and you're Some possessed again. Some stuff happened there in Amend that we haven't seen. Now, in like two weeks, the Al Ewing one-shot uh, X-Men Before the Fall Heralds of Apocalypse comes out. So I'm wondering if all that stuff that I really want to know about that kind of could have been in this book maybe was kind of snipped out and put over in that one shot. That's kind of what I'm hoping is we get some answers there. Yeah. It's just, it makes me think of like any of those like humorous things like cartoons or whatnot, where it was a Simpsons thing, right? Where like <laughs> you just keep doing the thing that's like, you know, is bad for you. So she's got the helmet. She was possessed. And then she just grabs the yeah, staff and she gets possessed again. There's no like, again. like a patch. You can't put a patch or some chewing gum to wean yourself off of annihilation. It just, there's no, there's no cure for it, apparently. Ah, so she's attacking the White Sword. White Sword knows he's in trouble, and he gives his actual sword, called Purity, to his most trusted warrior, who would be our old Sins of Sinister pal, John Ironfire. So I guess, technically, John Ironfire appeared kind of in the background of X of Tens, and we just didn't know him at the time? Yeah, apparently one of the 100 warriors that are pledged to White Sword. The White Sword's power is basically, I think it's an interesting power. He basically has like perfect healing ability, but when he heals you, you're like bound to his yeah. enclave at that point. Right. So, uh, White Sword frees Ironfire from whatever thrall that is, which means he can't heal him again, apparently. Yeah. Uh, he so dies, then he's he dead. sends him off with the, the sword, the magic sword, and with a message. Message being Genesis is coming. The message is for Arako and most particularly sent to the holder of the Great Ring's seat of loss, the one who's supposed to be consulted when a battle is lost, as this one's about to be. Now, currently, this would be Storm. Uh, previously, it would be Magneto, and before him, it was Tarn the Uncaring, who would have been the last holder of the seat that White Sword ever knew about, as far as we know. Okay, as John rides off, we see that Genesis easily wins the battle. She wants the magic sword, but that jig is up and gone. Uh, White Sword wants to know where her husband is, that, that is Apocalypse, which is what we all want to know. She doesn't answer him. Uh, Genesis uses her magic staff to place the White Sword in all of his warriors, minus John Ironfire, under her thrall. Now we cut to present day on Arako, where we found out that all this stuff we just talked about has been what John Ironfire is telling to Storm and Fisher King and Roberto and Nova and kind of in the background, Korra. Now, John didn't get here through any existing gate, but by using the sword purity, which is, quote, an object reduced to pure essence of the act of cutting, which sounds like a razor blade commercial to me, but oh well, uh, he cuts through reality and winds up here. And this is what we saw at the end of issue 10, when he showed up at the external gate and knocked Birdo's you know, robe all loose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, I am- um, mm -hmm, Go ahead. It's a little overly descriptive, right? He could have just been like, I got this sword, it cuts, you know, holes in reality. And that would have worked a little better than the reduced to the essence of cutting. Yeah, it's nonsense. a little Grant Morrison-y. I don't know if this is going to come up again. And if it it's a teleporting right sword. Reality, why does he show up at the external gate? Yeah. I would think he would just show up wherever, but and does it really leave see a, what he does. Does it leave a permanent wormhole? Unknown. I think they just yeah. needed a way to get him here, and this is kind of their hand-waving explanation. Might not ever come up again, but maybe maybe there's a point going forward where this sword's going to have to do its thing. So yeah, this this meeting between John and like the main cast of X-Men Red is kind of contentious. Fisher King tries to pick a fight with him, which even Storm calls out as kind of uncharacteristic. Uh, it's a heavy conversation, but there's a few humorous bits with Birdo and Nova that I thought were kind of funny, but uh, Ruben, I think you told me that you weren't so happy with this part. So 
tell us yeah. tell us why I shouldn't like it. <laughs> well, you can like it. It's okay. fine. But uh, it's just a, a little weird, like Al Ewing maybe forgetting his own stories. So there was this this like early two thousands kind of Marvel cosmic story called Annihilation, and in that story, no, yeah, unrelated, unrelated, but it was it was a cosmic like crossover story where basically the Nova Corps gets destroyed to a man, except for Richard Rider, he survives and he um, ingests the AI of Hala, which is like the planet that kind of sponsors the the Novas. Yeah. And then he gets all the Nova Nova power and becomes this kind of badass. And then he leads a resistance against Annihilus, who's coming from the negative zone with like this legion to like conquer the universe. And Annihilus goes around and like kills all the scroll, kills most of the Kree, and he's like pretty close to like getting ready to like wipe out, you know, humanity. And this is during the um uh oh my gosh, what's the Civil War plot? So like apparently the you know, the Earth is kind of vulnerable because people aren't really, you know, ready to... Yeah, exactly. So, um, it takes the basically, a bu- like, Galactus and a bunch of the Galactus former Galactus Heralds, like, banding together to, like, defeat Annihilus with, you know, Ultimate Richard Rider. And they make a huge point of this being, like, a 200-day, like, you know, trillions of people dying type battle, right? It's a big, big, like, intense thing. And it's a great little story, like, worth reading. I just read it, like, a, week, about a few weeks ago. So I know that Al Ewing knows about this because then more recently it, he had when he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy he had like a Last Annihilation crossover and all during that crossover like all the aliens were kind of in awe of Richard Rider being like you know he who survives basically right like you're you're the one Nova that didn't get killed right in that terrible thing and you saved the galaxy and you've you know dealt with you know civil like universe ending scale like space invasion yeah it's, it's like being the one surviving green lantern basically yes like, after a big exactly fight. okay exactly yeah so like i said al, al ewing knows about that because he was referencing that annihilation story and then here we've got um a lot of people talking about him being kind of a nobody kind of a dope right he's acting kind of lighthearted and like this is pretty new to him now it does they do have Berto say he, so nova says that i wouldn't say i was exactly steeped in despair and death. And Berto says, well, you know, you've been a little steeped. Kind of a death donut, which is a, a weird saying. But So they, they reference it, but you're right that he, he's played off. He's being used to add some lightness and humor to a dark scene, which it sounds like doesn't exactly match with what he's been through. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. And Fair even enough. the armor he's wearing right now is like the, again, this is the armor, like the Nova look that came out of Annihilation, the that, event. Like, jean jacket vest he's wearing? Yeah, it was supposed to be, like, the ultimate Nova, right? Like, before he had an old Nova uniform, and then when he absorbed all the Nova power, it looked like this thing. But any- anyways, it's just a little bizarre to me that Al Ewing, who was aware of, of that, would play so lightly and use this specific character in this way. I'm not that steeped in uh, Nova lore, so to me, I'm just seeing this as he's kind of like the, the teenager hanging out and, you know, almost like a, a Robin figure. In this, yes. this story. He was. He was a long time ago, right? But then they evolved his character and made him more mature. He's seen stuff and done stuff. So this meeting between John and like the main cast of X-Men Red is unusually kind of contentious. The Fisher King tries to pick a fight with him, which even Storm calls out as like, we went through this, went all through this, so I'm not gonna say that again. We're not gonna do the whole Nova out of character again. Okay. So I'm jumping ahead. Jim, you're gonna have lots of fun editing this, I'm sure. Uh, I know you're going to swear at me. You don't have to tell me what smears you use. So, here we go. So, Nova and Birdo do their little comedy routine, uh, and the overall meeting never really comes to a conclusion. I guess there's, like, no good answer for, you know, what are you going to do when when Genesis comes for you? So, uh, speaking of Genesis, we have one more brief scene to cap off the issue. We're on Arako Prime, which I guess is the bit of the actual physical island of Arako that got transported to Mars. The night of the first Hellfire Gala is that is that how you take that? So we're in this plane littered with bones, which again I'm going to guess is like a remnant of the Oranos attacks from Judgment Day, linking all the events together. And this Krakoan-looking gate grows into existence, and Genesis herself steps through, accompanied by no one, and carrying only the Annihilation Staff. She is met by the astrally projected image of oh no, Mariana Stern, High Priestess of 
Kavanakaba. So two Kavanakaba sightings in one week. How lucky are we? Now, judging by Genesis's dialogue, this is not their first communication. These two jokers are in cahoots, or at least have a common goal. Uh, Stern has told Genesis about what happened to Araku on Judgment Day. I don't know. I guess a coven can send a message off to Otherworld. That's kind of what they do. Uh, and Genesis says that this has only happened because she was not here to prevent it. Uh, now, now, Stern and the Coven are working with Orcus, and they want to provoke a war between Arako and, I guess, Earth in general? Is that what they're trying to do here? Yeah, I, I don't understand the agenda. I mean, I mean, surely this is like one more. Like Every different title has to have, here's how Orcus is making the mutants look bad, right? Whether it's you know, messing with the mutant meds, or making it look like uh, Nightcrawler is killing folks. Every, 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 clearly, every writer got these marching orders. Have Orcas do something to make humans look bad. But this is possibly going to end in the destruction and/or subjugation of the entire planet Earth. I mean, Genesis. She looks like a, a teenager. I, I don't really like her character design. She doesn't look as tough as I think maybe she should look. She looks like a little slip of nothing when you see her next to Apocalypse, which maybe is the idea, but. She's bad news, so I hope that Orcus has a plan for what to do with Genesis after she stops being useful to them, because, you know, I, I would bet on Genesis usually. Well, so what did I think of this issue? I have to preface this by saying I was not a fan of X of Tens, nor am I a fan of Teeny Howard's Coven Akaba stuff. So when I get both of those in the same book, I'm already coming in with a bad attitude. Now, there was a ton of exposition here, and yet it, it feels like I really don't understand what's happening. Why is Genesis at war with the White Sword? Why is Kavanakaba involved? And most of all, where the hell is Apocalypse? What has the big guy been up to? And again, I'm hoping that it's just Ewing is saving the good stuff for that before the fall one shot. And if I, if I find out there, I'm going to say, okay, put them together, make one good issue, but it felt like it was missing here. Did you have a similar feeling, or did you did you like it better than I did? I did like X of Swords, and I do like the Araco Amenth subplot, so that's interesting to me. I, it is I nice can't... to bring that back. I, I like bringing back this thing. It was clearly a dangling plot. Yeah. The characterizations are bizarre to me. I think I mentioned that. A lot of people seem like they're acting out of character, and even characters that I would expect Ewing to know how they should act, and in the past has demonstrated that they act a certain way. So that was obnoxious to me. Um, we do see Genesis has like this new ability. She can apparently make the uh, the gate seeds get planted in places that she hasn't been before physically. Yeah, she calls it the Okara Gate. So exactly how we've had multiple people now coming through from Otherworld to Mars, Araco, via various means. I guess that's just a thing that happens now. So um, I'm basically I'm interested in what's going on from uh you know these are characters I'm curious about and I want to see what happens with them but the angles of like I, I don't know I guess I'm not that interested in in Kavanakaba and this seems to be their big big power play right so kind of a loser story from that perspective yeah I think we're a similar similar position here now as for art I I can't really complain about Jacopo Kamani here it's I was going to say it's fine, but it, it's it's better than fine. It's actually quite good. I just really miss the Stefano Caselli art from the first, I think that all first 10 issues of this book, which was amazing. And this, it just suffers by comparison, which is, is not fair, but it is what it is. Now, overall, a lot of exposition about stuff I'm already not so interested in. Not a whole lot of anyone actually doing anything. Uh, really putting all my eggs in the basket of this before the fall one shot being fantastic. So... Hope I'm not disappointed there. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's not a bad book, but it's not one I'm going to particularly remember. So I'm going to give this issue of X-Men Red a very neutral 7 out of 10. Yeah, pretty positive there. I'll go 7-5. I'm a little more excited about um, these characters. I do like White Sword. I do. I think I do like John Ironfire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I he's definitely, a nice character. I'm, I'm glad to see him back, and I think he's going to be fun to have around. I'm really interested in the Horseman kids. And, you know, I would like to know what's going on with Apocalypse and Genesis. So that, those are all things that are interesting to me. So this is like, a, you know, me being positive and expecting and, and trusting that Ewing will do something good with this because he has more often than not impressed me with his, his mm -hmm. kind of long He's definitely stories. a continuity guy. He likes to get into continuity and mess with it and make connections. 
And when it works, it's great, but sometimes I think it gets a little bit too into, like for, for my taste, a little too into messing with details I'm not so interested in, but let's hope he pulls it out. So those I don't are think the he's books. a hack. You know, Simon Definitely claims not. he is. He's not in my, <laughs> he's not a Leah Williams or, you know, some of these other characters that, uh, or I shouldn't say characters, these other writers that I'm kind of underwhelmed by. I think he's a solid comic book writer. I'm not always on board with what he does. I still, you know, I, I bet if I read Empire at this point in time, I'd probably like it a little bit more because I've been doing more homework on cosmic stuff. But it still wasn't like a great, great story. But there have been some things he's done that I, I did really When enjoy. he gets into a topic, he burrows really deep into that topic, which is either fantastic if you're as into it as he is, or, you know, like with Immortal Hulk, I'm like, okay, already, I don't really care about this interpretation of Kabbalah uh, as, you know, interpreted through Hulk. But again, I... I hope we're not overhyping this before the fall one shot, but I think that really will will tell us a lot about where the rest of the story is going. And we still and we still don't know what's up with uh, you mentioned Magneto, right? In the seat of seat of loss, we haven't seen him, and we you know he's coming back, right? So I kind of I kind of think that this will be a Ewing, not maybe not in this next series, right? But I kind of feel like Ewing will be the guy that brings him back. You think that before this whole Kokoa era wraps up, maybe in Fall of X, you're expecting Magneto to come back? Yeah, I'd be shocked if he didn't. And I'd be shocked if there wasn't some sort of emotional play with him and Storm, because that, you know, they were two sides of the same coin with buying into the Don't Resurrect Me philosophy. I, I don't know, because he was so much into the Don't Resurrect Me, I'm wondering if that'll be left to be like a big story beat for whatever the next era of X-Men might be, right? Just like Logan was gone for a while and then he got to come back and be a big thing. Maybe they're going to maybe they're going to keep Magneto on the show. I mean, that would be pretty that would be pretty cool in in one respect, right? Like it'll make it much more impactful when they do bring him back, but I just feel like he's such a central character to X-Men that I just have a hard time believing he's gone for more than a year. Yeah, I guess we will find out. And I think that's all we have to say about this week's books. Now, next week Unless I am misreading my uh, Comixology website, I think the only book that we have to talk about will be X-Force number 41, which will be the second part of that old man Kid Omega story that neither of us were too crazy about. And that's, I think that's it, because there is a Betsy Britton book, and there is a New Zealand Legion book, so if you read those books, enjoy them, you know, write to us about them if you'd like, but we're not going to be talking about them. So maybe an easy week coming up for me and Ruben. But I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. So, and until then, Ruben, what, what is it that we say at the end of every show? Read more X-Men comics. And also read Void Rivals. I'm starting to plug all these <laughs> indie properties. But I, uh, that's my and jam this week. If you're the last person on Earth who hasn't seen the spoiler for Void Rivals, just go read Void Rivals. Rivals. I can't even... Void Rivals, not Ride Voivals. Do that too. <laughs> Bye, folks.